This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello, I'm Matt Jolly. This is the Red Box Podcast featuring the best of my show on Times Radio, Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. Uh, On today's episode, we take you around the world without leaving home, indefinitely without having to quarantine afterwards. It's all as a result of what the Prime Minister had to say about the risks of travelling. We're not going on a summer holiday, at least not abroad, it seems. This was Boris Johnson warning about what is happening in Europe. Let's be absolutely clear about what's happening in, in Europe, in, in our, among some of our European friends. I'm afraid you are starting to see, in some places, the signs of a second wave of the pandemic. Well, I mean, that's not good news, is it? So if you're jetting off on your holidays, it's a bit tricky at the moment. So join us on Times Radio Airways as we take off and fly around the world in eight correspondents. Around the world in eight correspondents is what we're cleverly calling this. Uh, Getting the latest on the fight against coronavirus from colleagues dotted across the globe. So correspondent number one, it seems to make sense to start where this crisis began. And it's a quick hop of just 8,000 miles to hear from Didi Tang, our correspondent in China. Here in China, the government has by and large brought the epidemic under control uh, with pretty good success. And then people in general are very happy with the control measures here in China, in the country. In some southern cities, you know, people have already ditched their masks in many kind of public open areas. They don't need to wear their masks anymore. Cinemas uh, have reopened in China for the past week. And at the box office, the numbers are very promising, uh, giving people, you know, the hope and then the confidence that the market is going to recover. And in Beijing, the local parks, the museums, they have reopened to the general public. The Palace Museum now, you know, is taking 1,200 people per day. So are swimming pools. You know, usually swimming pools are the last ones to open because it's sort of a communal um, place. Uh, The risks for infections, for uh, transmission uh, are pretty high. But then, you know, here in China, the swimming pools have reopened. The schools are going to reopen on September the 1st. But that said, the country is not totally relaxed. So you still see this kind of constant, you know, small minor outbreaks sprouting from place to place. So overall, the country is in a very good shape. 
That's Didi Tang there in China, uh, reporting from our first uh, correspondent. Uh, there are sporadic outbreaks still in different parts of China, but officials there are apparently uh, trying to uh, turn to quickly to isolation and mass testing to bring them under control. Right, it's back onto the plane here on Times Radio Airwaves. We are heading 2,100 miles to Tokyo. Richard Lloyd Parry, the Times Asia editor, is there. Uh, What's the weather like, Richard? Uh, It's cloudy and prone to rain, yeah. We're having an unusually long rainy season. It's been pouring. Um, So if the Olympics have been going ahead, which of course they're not, it would be a bit of a washout. Uh, More importantly, what's the current state of play with coronavirus in, in Japan? Well, I mean, when you look at the numbers, it's all comparative, isn't it? I mean, compared to, uh, you know, a lot of Western Europe, certainly the United States, uh, Japan's very well off. But they're getting very worried because the numbers are going up. Uh, the country nationally, they're getting, you know, just around 1,000 cases, new cases a day. And in Tokyo, it's, oh, it's been over 200 now for a while, 300 some days, 250 today. Uh, and plenty of other cities, it's rising as well. So... You know, people can feel the second wave coming on. And when the numbers were at this state back in April, uh, you know, the government was declaring a state of emergency and encouraging people to not go out work from home. But this time they're not really doing that because, of course, they don't want to give the economy the hit that it took uh, the first time around. So they're in a dilemma and they've always been anxious about it. And what about how this is impacting on the politics? Are the public still have faith in the government's handling of it? No, not really. I mean, Japan's actually looked too, too badly. Uh, you know, out of all the sort of big G7 democracies, it's done the best. But its government has received the least credit. Shinzo Abe, who's been prime minister for a long time now, uh, his uh, ratings are very low. It's partly because he's been in power a long time, people are you know, getting a bit tired of him. But he's not seen as having been very decisive. And I think a lot of people feel that credit for the... Uh, way the virus has been quelled really belongs to them and to Japanese good habits, good hygiene, wearing masks, people sort of following the, the recommendations without being ordered to do it, and really less to the government, which hasn't appeared very sure of itself throughout this. Uh, you mentioned masks there. I mean, Britain is, is sort of still getting to grips with wearing masks. It's much more of a cultural thing um, to wear them in Japan. What's, given that you've, you've been in uh, Japan for some years now, what's your top tips for mask wearing? Um, you know, the, the the best mask to wear? Have you got a trendy one, you know, different coloured patterns? Uh, I, I, I bought some rather attractive black foam ones the other day, which look terribly spiffy, and, and they're much easier to breathe in. I suspect that means they don't work as well as <laughs> the, you know, the very medicalised looking blue and white ones. I mean, the main tip is just wear one, for God's sake. I mean, you get, you know, it's a bit, it gets a bit stuffy under there, but you get used to it. And from what I can see, it's single thing you can do that makes the most difference and i'm sure that's why japan is so far ahead of everywhere else or one of the main reasons that's richard lloyd parry there in tokyo uh, reporting for us uh, back on the plane then uh, times radio airways lifting off another nine thousand miles around the back of the world from tokyo to los angeles uh, where we catch up the times west coast bureau chief ben hoyle america's really in the in the grip of you know, a really bad period in its efforts to battle the pandemic. There's mounting, uh, mounting numbers all 
across large swathes of the South. And just today, Dr. Anthony Fauci, the top uh, infectious disease specialist in the country, is warning that the Midwest, uh, Ohio, Indiana and Kentucky could be the next place to see a big spike in infections. States uh, have taken very different approaches right from the start. The initial onslaught was worst in the northeastern states and in California. California did a fantastic job of getting coronavirus under control early on. It took longer to do that in New York, but they they had the worst early outbreak, but they've managed to get that under control. Since then, as I said, it's, it's erupted in the southern states. It's also come back in California in a big way, while New York so far uh, has, has managed to keep a lid on its uh, infection rates. With the caveat that President Trump's approach to the pandemic has it's it's unpredictable what his administration will do at the best of times he had looked last week like uh, he'd turned a corner and for the first time was making a really concerted effort to to take a more realistic approach to the virus um, warning his countrymen that things would get worse before they would get better urging them to wear a mask and finally starting to behave more like a conventional national leader in this you know particular faced with this particular challenge but being president trump he's already complicating that picture muddying the waters throughout his time in office that he's, he's used immigration a lot as a as a policy particularly on coronavirus his proudest achievement arguably his only achievement that he's re- repeatedly trumpeted has been closing the borders to visitors from china early on so it would be odd for him to open the borders up to um, travellers from the UK, unless it was very clear that there was no risk to Americans as a result. It's had an enormous impact on the way the campaign's gone. It's also directly a a concern for one of the most significant voting groups, uh, which is older Americans, who historically, uh, in recent years at least, have tended to to really um, back Republicans very consistently. And of course, older Americans are more dependable uh, in terms of their turning up to vote than younger Americans. So they're a great constituency to have in your in your back pocket. And they're also the people who are most anxious about coronavirus, most vulnerable to coronavirus. And polling at the moment seems to suggest that they're leaking away from President Trump towards uh, former Vice President Biden, particularly in the battleground states. And that could become a real crucial decisive factor in in november that's ben hoyle there in la let's get back on the plane times radio airways taking off again heading from la hopping eleven thousand miles down to uh, brazil where our correspondent lucinda elliott can tell us what it's like there the mortality rate in brazil really has just not subsided daily death tolls regularly surpass a thousand we now have 87 thousand people who have died from the disease. And remarkably, given these figures, which are second only to the United States, I believe, we still don't have a formal health minister in Brazil, nearly two months on from when the last chap resigned over differences with the president. But politics aside, what we've seen really in recent weeks in Brazil when it comes to the pandemic is that cases that had been concentrated in the urban centres along the coast, like here where I am in Rio, and the biggest metropolis of Sao Paulo, have moved inland to places that have very limited healthcare. Outside urban areas now account for about half of all daily deaths in Brazil. And that's been the case 
since late June. At the same time, in the big cities, things have reopened. So there's an enormous risk that cases start to rise again. And actually, experts had always said that a peak in Brazil would be in August. The biggest and most important states, arguably, of Sao Paulo and Rio de Janeiro, um, what we have seen here is most public transport services have been running a, a milder service. The beach here in Rio was closed off. You could only sort of walk on, on, on the side, but you couldn't actually stand on the sand. Um, and there was police patrolling. All commercial establishments that were deemed non-essential were closed. But now that it's lifting, it's, it's almost like a dramatic return to normal. Um, as of two weeks ago in Rio, most restaurants are open. Hotels are due to open next week. Public buses and the metro are running fairly normal services now. And there's a big debate as to whether people actually physically go into offices or not. Brazil has never closed its borders, rather a reflection, I imagine, of, of, of the president's sort of attitude towards the virus. As he said, he said, most people will show mild symptoms. What's happened in Latin America is that those countries have closed their borders to Brazil. So once you get to Brazil, you can't really go anywhere else. President Bolsonaro, generally, when we look at his ratings um, and the most recent polls, his popularity has taken a hit, but probably not as much as some people might imagine, given the way he's been portrayed, particularly in the media. Versus other Latin American leaders, he really is trailing others that have actually done quite well in terms of their response. It's worth remembering that most LATAM nations introduce quite strict lockdowns. Um, they've really introduced very strict social isolation measures. So Brazil has been the exception. But it'll be interesting to see now that he has had the disease himself, or he's had the tests, he has recovered with chloroquine or without it, we don't really know, you know, that that's what he's claiming he's done, whether actually that will embolden him. If you like what you're hearing, you can listen to the whole of my Times Radio show, either listen back on the Times Radio app, or you can listen live Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. We'll have more on the episode after this. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Right, tray tables up, seats in the upright position. We're taking off again. Uh, this is Times Radio Airways touring the world, around the world in eight correspondents, bringing you the latest on uh, coronavirus uh, here on Times Radio. We're heading 8,000 miles to Spain. Graeme Keeley is there on the front line of this quarantine row. 
cases have been uh, rising in recent weeks since Spain came out of lockdown on the 21st of June. There have been 380 outbreaks across the country. In most cases, what has happened is we've had groups of people, families or friends meeting up and the disease has uh, been passed on there. Some cases, for instance, have been um, discos uh, or bars where people have uh, met and the disease has spread like wildfire. The main area of concern is Catalonia, whose capital is Barcelona. The cases there have risen um, because mainly uh, they were linked to um, seasonal fruit pickers. Now, these people um, move around Spain at this time of year, um, moving to wherever there's work. These people were living in rather um, shoddy conditions where it's very difficult to socially distance. And also, crucially, these people were very difficult to trace. So you couldn't, you couldn't pinpoint where the disease was moving. That spread across over into um, cities uh, nearby and then finally into Barcelona. However, I must stress that if you um, look at the islands, the Balearic Islands, Mallorca, Minorca, Ibiza, and then the Canary Islands, the situation is much, uh, very, very different because um, the ratio of cases per 100,000 of population is much lower than that in the UK. Within Spain, um, there has been something of a blame game going on between the central government, who was in control of the, the situation when they imposed a national lockdown in March. And now the regional governments, particularly between Catalonia and the central government in Madrid, which is led by the Socialist Party. There have only been localised lockdowns. In the case of Catalonia, the government there said to people, we advise you to stay in your homes. They have closed all discos. They have said restaurants and bars must shut by midnight. And they have closed theatres and cinemas. In terms of the whole country, we're, nothing, we're nowhere near yet the kind of lockdown we saw in March, which was one of the most strictest in Europe. In terms of coming to Spain, the tourism sector is very much hoping people do come to Spain. This is a very important part of the economy, counts for 12% of GDP and employs 13% in a normal year of, of the population. The uh, Spanish tourism sector are desperate for people to come. Well, the government's very worried. Um, Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez appeared uh, on national television um, earlier this week and said directly that this situation um, with regard to Britain, this decision to impose the quarantine um, suddenly um, on Saturday night was misguided. Now, these are quite strong words from a politician who is very much um, an ally of Britain, obviously, um, and, uh, and yet he was coming out and saying this. So it seems to me that there's a bit of a political battle um, going on there. It seems that um, behind the scenes, um, all effort to reach some kind of uh, halfway house ha had failed. There we are, there's Graham Keeley in Spain, back on the plane this time. Only a short hop of some 1,400 miles to Italy, where Philip Milan joins us now live from Rome. Good morning, Philip. Good morning. What's it like in Rome this morning? Uh, it's getting pretty hot, uh, as you'd expect at this time of the year, uh, getting up to the sort of normal uh, sweaty conditions <laughs> of uh, summer. 
Uh, a few years ago, I went to Rome in the, in the middle of August, and I don't think I've ever been hotter anywhere in the world. Um, uh, but more importantly, what's the coronavirus picture looking like? Well, Italy is looking pretty good, actually. Um, it was the first country in Europe to be uh, severely impacted by uh, coronavirus. Uh, but after a, a strict, uh, strict lockdown uh, and uh, I think fairly disciplined behaviour since, uh, with people wearing masks and uh, respecting uh, uh, social distancing, um, the numbers are low of new cases uh, every day and the numbers of people dying are also uh, low. Uh, yesterday, um, the number went up to 12, but uh, in previous days uh, it had been uh, uh, fixed every day on uh, five. So uh, the very uh, low numbers of deaths, low numbers of new infections, and uh, the authorities are hoping that it, they can uh, keep it that way. Uh, and just finally, the, uh, obviously there's a lot of talk about where you can and can't go on holiday. Are tourists welcome in, in Rome right now? Yes, uh, tourists are welcome everywhere in Italy, uh, and obviously Italy depends a lot on tourism uh, for its economy, so they're hoping that uh, people will be coming in from abroad. And there are a few people around um, from abroad uh, that you can see uh, visiting the sites, um, but uh, assuming that not very many people will actually travel at, at this time, uh, Italy is encouraging Italians to take their holidays uh, in uh, within the, the nation. Uh, and of course, there are very many beautiful places to visit. And so they're hoping that the uh, lack of foreign tourists will at least in part uh, be compensated by Italians who will uh, be staying close to home. Yeah, take advantage of seeing the, the Colosseum without the crowds, although I advise you don't go at midday in August uh, for personal experience. That's Philip Villan uh, live in Rome. Off we go again then, back on the plane. Times Radio Airways taking off at 1,200 miles now to uh, Germany uh, to get the latest there. Uh, I'm concerned about uh, the, the prospects of a second spike. Alan Hall joins us. Uh, morning, Alan. Uh, what's it like in Germany Hello. today? Weather-wise, it's very nice. Corona-wise... The head of the Robert Koch Institute, which is Germany's National Disease Control Centre, um, Lothar Wieler, he's very concerned that we are beginning to see a second spike and he's worried that Germany might squander all the good work it did. When, when the coronavirus hit us here, um, Germans were very quick, they like to obey the law anyway, but they were very quick to lock down and to observe social distancing and to wear masks in trains and in shops. Consequently, of last night, 206,242 cases, 9,122 dead. However, the cases that went down to 350 a day in early June have risen to over 550 every day, and on one day last week was 750. Now, this is put down to a number of factors, mostly people thinking that it's all over and that they can go back to normal, but we're, we're seeing people... Germany has now listed 160 countries as unsafe, and that includes far away, it includes the USA, Afghanistan, Egypt, Chile. Uh, the list goes on. Not Great Britain, uh, Luxembourg, funny enough, which is really next door. And um, they're trying to instill in people a renewed sense of, you know, it's not over yet, folks. And people are being urged now to even wear masks indoors. They had spikes mostly in the um, far western region of Nord Rhine-Westphalia. Um, a lot of that centred around a, um, a slaughterhouse 
and a meat processing plant. Well, these, these places are staffed largely with uh, Eastern Europeans. And like the your correspondent in Spain said, fruit pickers there tend to live in um, shabby buildings. So it is in these uh, um, facilities where sometimes you get as many as 15 to 20 people living in a single room. So that's now been contained, but there are cases spiking of people coming back. Uh, and in Berlin in particular, the club culture is so ingrained that all clubs have now been shut down, along with cinemas and concert halls, etc., since a April. Um, but there's an underground club culture, and people are um, flocking to these illegal raids. And, and at the weekend, police broke up one of 3,000 people. Uh, Vila, Vila of the um, Robert Koch Institute said, you know, this is something that must not happen. Um, uh, but so far... West, you know, Germany is still way, way below the death rates of the UK and other countries. Well, that's really good to speak. That's Alan Hall there in uh, Germany. And now on to our final stop in the tour, back on the plane for Times uh, Radio Airways. Around the world in eight correspondents. It's, it's quite a short flight, this. It's uh, from, from Berlin to Brussels, just 640 miles, uh, to join Bruno Waterfield in Brussels. Uh, morning, Bruno. I suppose I should ask you what the weather's like there as well. It's lovely, lovely and sunny, low 20s, gorgeous day. <laughs> we don't have the weather done. We, we could have you every day doing the weather um, here on Times Radio. Uh, more importantly, um, lots of talk this morning that, that uh, Belgium could follow uh, Spain and um, having these quarantine measures imposed uh, for Brits coming home from Belgium. How's that gone down in, in, in Brussels this morning? Well, I mean, they're, they're, you know, there's a recognition here that the that rate is increasing. It's It's a... 32 per 100,000. Um, that's compared to Spain at, you know, 48 uh, per 100,000. Um, I mean, these decisions are a little bit um, arbitrary. Um, Britain still allows people to travel to Luxembourg next door to Belgium um, without quarantining. Luxembourg is the hotspot for coronavirus in, in the EU. It's, it's 222 cases uh, per 100,000, but you can still travel uh, without quarantine. So I think I think the putting Belgium on the quarantine list will will spark a debate about what the level uh, is. Is the level 30 per cases per 100,000 that, that triggers uh, triggers a quarantine? Because you know people people are going to want to know what the what the certainty uh, what the certainty is here. But I think the Belgians would admit, you know, they have got a problem. Um, and they're introducing a lot of national and local level uh, measures in Antwerp, particularly, to try and tackle what's going on. You obviously, uh, in the day job, keep your eye on uh, on what's happening in the EU institutions as well. Is there a concern about what happens when um, European countries start shutting their borders to each other, potentially? Yeah, I think there is, um, but at the same time, there's a recognition that it is a uh, that it is a national. A decision because it is a national decision. I think there's some worry, certainly in the tourism industry, that you know there might be a load of people sitting around a pool somewhere um, in a European holiday resort, and suddenly the Brits are told to, told that they have to pull out, but the Germans and the Italians are still there, you know, or vice versa. So I think there's, there's worries about the sort of confusing messages um, that are given out. No one has sort of really discussed in any country what the level should be is it 30 cases per 100,000 is it is it uh is it 50 whether it should be based on the reproduction rate so no one's very very clear because we're still in a sort of unknown unknown 
territory and, un, and uncharted uh, waters at this stage. That was really good to speak to. That's uh, Bruno Waterfield uh, live in Brussels. So now we've got to fly home. Uh, something like 42,000 miles we've done in half an hour uh, on Times Radio Airways. Going around the world with eight correspondents. Time to uh, tell us uh, what's going on with coronavirus around the world. Is this really a second wave or the end of the first wave? That's a, the big debate that's raging right now. Tom Whipple, our science editor, writes in the Times today, it's more useful that you could view it as neither, he says. We are instead at the beginning of a long and depressing autumn and winter of uncountable ripple after ripple, each of them to be flattened at wearying and tedious expense. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box podcast. Uh, You can now listen back to my whole show on the Times Radio app, where you can also now listen to all of the Times podcasts, including Red Box 2. Make sure you subscribe and review the Red Box podcast wherever you listen. But for now, from me, Matt Chorley, it's goodbye. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.